What makes our country great is the legislative system put in place to protect our freedoms, with lawyers ensuring justice for our nation's citizens. Tune in as top legal experts come together to discuss all things law on The Legal Network. How you guys doing? I'm Tony Arce. Welcome to The Legal Network Podcast. Today I'm joined by owner at Main Street Real Estate Group and owner attorney at Dotka Law Group, Mo Dotka. Mo, thanks for being here, brother. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. No, likewise. What a pleasure. And uh, getting to know you and all these cool things that you've been up to and uh, the personal side of Mo, right? We'll get to know. But tell us a little bit about the the organization, the group, the law group, and, and what you guys do, and, and just so people are aware. Sure. So Dotka Law Group uh, came about in 2009. I got out of law school. Job offers kind of stunk back then. <laughs> right. I was getting offers for... Uh, thirty six, thirty eight thousand dollars to be a full time attorney because the market stunk. That's you know? crazy. That's only like you know thirteen years ago. Yeah, that's not a lot of money. No, and I got in in 06. So oh six was a great market. Yeah. So I got into law school and thought I'd come out making six figures. Come wow. to find out, I'd be making a third of that. Um, and I remember I was uh, sitting on two ninety, and I think I called my dad, who's a doctor, and his dream was for me to be a doctor. And I said, Dad, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he said, Well, I told you, you should have been a doctor. I said, Well, it's too late now. And I decided I would not be happy taking a legal job for, you know, under $40,000. I mean, I probably wouldn't have been happy with anything even close to that. But that led me to open the Dodka Law Group in 2009. I had no business at all. So I was grinding for quite some time, and I can get into that a little bit too. But because I had no business at the beginning, I realized that attorneys don't actually have to take a real estate class to uh, become a realtor. So I just passed the test, got a real estate license, and I really kind of worked two jobs for a long time. Wow. And one thing led to another. And you know now I have Main Street Real Estate Group, which is uh, grown to 65 agents in the Dotka Law Group. There's three attorneys there. And uh, you know uh, Tim and Ali at the law firm just absolutely crush it. And uh, I'm, I'm very, very lucky. But I always say I got to where I'm at um, mostly because of bad timing that led to really good decisions because of the bad timing of the market. Yeah. And one thing that I was just impressed by was your, your work ethic. I mean, you have hustle. You, 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 you're out there to work. You're not you know, above anything, right? And when you first started, you had mentioned that uh, you just go to the courthouse and sit there and watch and, and watch people litigate and, and thinking you wanted to get into it or at least did, right, and, and pursued that. Tell me about where that kind of hustle came from, because it seems to just increase as it is. You've gotten older, more experienced, right? It, it hasn't slowed down for you. No, definitely not. Um, hustle, I learned from my dad. You know, my dad was, uh, my, my mom and dad both immigrated here from the Middle East. And my dad came in the 70s, and that was a tough time to come from the Middle East. And he wanted to be a doctor. My grandpa was a doctor in the Middle East, and he... Um, couldn't get into medical schools here, so he went to college here, went to medical school in Mexico, Whoa. learned Spanish after he had just learned English, became a physician, came back here, hustled, and then went and got an MBA while he was here as a practicing surgeon <laughs> because he said doctors are just terrible business people, and, and he's correct in that. Yeah. You know, they're super smart, but don't always that does that brain doesn't always translate to business so he got an MBA was very self um, aware and then really kind of crushed it and he out hustles me still today wow and so I always learn from him that if you want something it's not gonna be easy you have to be consistent and hardworking for a very long period of time I, I love the quote everybody overestimates what they can achieve in a year and underestimates yeah. what they can achieve in a decade um, you know 
if you're going to have a career, it's a lot of decades and you got to hustle every single day. Now, when I started in law, the traditional route is you become an associate attorney when you graduate and somebody at a law firm will teach you how to litigate. And, you know, you'll do small cases and then maybe you'll do a status hearing and then maybe they'll let you do a deposition and then eventually you'll work your way into doing a trial. Well, when I opened the law firm, I didn't have any of that. So I didn't have anybody teaching me. So I would go to the Daily Center with a notepad. I would dress up in a suit and a tie and I would sit in courtrooms. And I remember I used to go up and down because the courtrooms are open um, for the most part to, to view. And I would go up and down into different courtrooms and with my little notepad and I would write down what other attorneys were doing. I would literally take pictures of orders just so I could know how to write an order. Wow. What I realized when I was sitting around trying to teach myself how to litigate was that some attorneys would show up for what's called like a status hearing. And they would have driven from the suburbs or you know, taken a bus or a train or a cab from the city or parked. And they'd sit waiting their turn to go up for five minutes. And I said, well, that's a colossal waste of time for most of them yeah. and their clients. So I went on Craigslist, because Craigslist was a thing back then. And I started posting that I would cover cases for $50 at the Daily Center. I think Skokie I was doing for 75 because I had to pay for gas. And people were responding back, is this even real? And I'm like, no, I, I, it is real. I'll send you, you know, my, my uh, law license, my ARDC card, whatever you need. Um, I'm at the Daily Center. So, now, is this something that you had seen? No. Or is this your no. idea? Like, I, I just, just, I thought of it. You know, I was sitting there and I'm like, this is inefficient. So it's, it's, it's kind of expected that they would be like, is this real? Because they hadn't right. seen it before. Especially on Craigslist. You know, you could see almost anything on Craigslist. Yeah. And so I started getting referral business. So I'd go to the Daily Center. I'd get three cases or four cases a day. I'd make 150 or $200. And then a lot of those people were getting referrals for cases they wouldn't take. And they were too small for them. And they definitely at that time were not too small for me. So I was starting to grow my uh, client base. And at the same time, was trying to work as a realtor. You know, on weekends, I would do open houses and uh, take clients out. And I was really kind of working two jobs just to make ends meet. And it's crazy because it was 13 years ago, which wasn't that long ago. I mean, it feels like a long time ago, but it also doesn't. And I don't think I've just ever taken my foot off the gas. And I've had a lot of setbacks along the way. So it's not like everything trended upwards forever. You know, I had bad business partners. I had, you know, setbacks. The market's gone up and down in different ways. And I think the key to being successful is consistent hard work, but also understanding, we talked about this a little bit, when something's not working, you have to learn to pivot. You can't be so stuck on your method of doing things that you can't be self-aware enough to see something's not working and pivot and go do something else right. as well. And, and in terms of just knowing that first, that knowingness of where to take the next step, right? I think that so many entrepreneurs or, and as you mentioned too, even your dad going and getting his MBA, because it's not just limited to the medical field. I mean, whether it be the arts or whatever, that when you focus on your craft, the business side of it can elude you, right? And, and, and there's that acumen that just needs to be had through experience, through education. For you, what was it that gave you that direction in terms of, I, I should just put an ad out, right? And, or I, I need to do something. Whereas a lot of people get stuck because they'll take that job because they don't have that kind of creativity. Where do you draw inspiration or what advice would you give to people when they have that kind of uh, analysis paralysis, right? Where they're just stuck to, to make the next move. It's a good question. And I don't think there's a single right answer. 
I do, I think, a pretty good job, and I used to do a better job, of consuming a lot of information. So I think the path to success, no matter what you're doing, whether it's law, real estate, um, almost anything, if you're not an inventor, I mean, I guess if you're an inventor, right. you're, you're figuring that out yourself. But for almost everything, the path to success is out there. And what's really cool about the day and age we live in right now is we have so much access to information. So I would read about successful people, successful attorneys, uh, I'd look at successful realtors, successful business people, all the way up to obviously the tip tops. Right now you could look at like an Elon Musk or you know, Jeff Bezos and say they're way out there. But there's you know, millions of people between you and them that you could model from and learn from. So I try to consume as much information as possible and then try some of that stuff. You know, I think the paralysis piece that you just touched on is a, a big stop for a lot of people. You, know, you can consume the information, but without actually going out doing it and being okay with the fact that it may fail, um, you're never going to get anywhere. You know, it's that famous Michael Jordan quote: mm, "I missed right, however many shots right, right. so that I could make." You I failed because or I succeed because I failed. I failed. Yeah, it's true though because if you're successful, you failed at some point, and if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough to be successful. So, I think you have to get over the fact that. A, to try to do something, and B, if you fail, it's okay. Every single person that's successful has failed over and over and over again. You know, get yourself back up and then either continue down the same path in a different way or pivot if you have to, but you have to be self-aware enough to be like, I screwed up. And hiring the right people and teaming with the right people matters too because you can't be great at everything. Right. Um, I have, I'm, I'm very blessed in that I have great partners and staff and people who do things better than I do in a lot of different ways. And I'm very self-aware to know what I, what I suck at. And I make sure that if I'm hiring um, somebody that they are filling something that's I'm weak at, you know, sure. let the chef do the cooking. Don't <laughs> try to be a jack of all trades. Right. You'll likely be a master of none. Now, as a sole business owner, sometimes you do have to play that jack of all trades role for a while. You know, I was a one man attorney, um, a law firm for a long time. Friends made fun of me. They, they're like, oh, you call it a group. Where's the group? And yeah. it, there wasn't really a group. You know, now it's a group, but um, know when to hire the right people as well. I think that's super, super important. I mean, you're absolutely right. And, and to be aware of that, I think, is something that you even touched on was uh, setting like the expectation of failure, right? Where a lot of times you'll tell your clients, hey, look, this might end in failure or, you know, I'm due for one, right? Yeah. Like, I'm not, doesn't mean I'm going to shy away from it. But even the perspective you have, I thought it was refreshing that not every failure is, if you think about it from, the, you know, the end, sure, it might be a failure, but the in-between part that buys you time or that, you know, here are these things that by trying, so much can come of it, right? And and you seem to take that philosophy, I think, very well. But t talk to me a little bit about that when you're setting that expectation for your clients and you're working together and, and you're just honest, I think. Yeah, you know, so my law career has taken a lot of different paths. When I first started, I really wanted to litigate. And litigation was one of those things where I guess it's, it's glorified when you see it on TV. So anybody who's in law school, you know, you're like, oh, trial class was fun or you know, you see the television version of like the superstar attorneys, they're always trial attorneys. Yeah. It's not who I am now, you know, the closing, the real right. estate closing attorney is never like a hero or glorified. So I always wanted to do that. And I realized quickly that, you know, cases can go any which way. And I tried to set those expectations from go. 
I eventually had settled in when I was litigating. We do less and less litigation now. But when I was litigating, I was doing foreclosure defense work. And I would tell my clients, you know, you signed a note, you signed a mortgage, and it's not paid for. So I'm going to lose. Hmm. Not today, not tomorrow, probably not in a year and probably not in two, but I will lose. My win is buying you that time. And I would, you know, I like to sit down with all my clients and figure out what their expectations are and then be very realistic with them. You know, I have still, we litigate a little bit still, and I have some cases that I feel like have a very high likelihood of success. And then sometimes I'll get a contract dispute and I will talk to my clients about settling the matter. I'll tell them, listen, I'm happy to litigate. I will litigate as aggressively as I can, but I'm going to be very honest with you. I'm not here to run up your legal tab and get to a trial or get to a place where you've spent um, you know, a lot of money for your, your level of income, whatever that number might be, and then let you know this might not be a winning case. If I think it's a case that needs to be settled, I tell them from go. You know, I will obviously defend it or I'll file it if I have to, but this is a case we should settle. Now, if you have a winning case, I let them know, hey, this is a winning case, but litigation is such that at the end of the day, it's a it's agonizing for both parties, even when you have a winning side. Um, unless you have an attorney fee provision that allows you then to get your attorney fees covered, you're paying somebody to get you back to you know the status quo level. But even if you're made whole, you still have to pay the attorney. So I try to tell my clients, if I can get this thing resolved for you and you can take the emotion out of it and make it a business decision, let's do that. Because yeah, both attorneys will make money, but even if you're made 100% whole, but you had to pay me, you know, 20, 30, 40% in legal fees, mm-hmm. depending on if it's an hourly, you know, if it's a split fee, whatever it might be, you're still less than whole. And now you spent two, three years of being in an antagonistic environment. And that's what I didn't love about litigation. I just felt like no matter what I was doing, even when I was victorious, it was two or three years of two sides just being a combat. And, you know, I've, my sport, you know, I, I auto race, but I've also done, you know, jiu-jitsu, boxing. I love martial arts and that's combat. But I think <laughs> if you're doing it in life and you're doing it for two, three years at a time, that can drain you. And I know as an attorney, it drained me. So that's why I got away from litigation for the most part. No. And, and again, back to that self-awareness of not only, um, you know, what you're good at and what you're not, but also what drains you and what feeds you. Mm-hmm. Right. And for you, um, it seems like you've really tapped into this other side, as you mentioned, into sports where now racing has become a huge part of your life and almost a community that you've gravitated towards. And I don't want to say define you because I don't like saying anything defines yeah. anyone, but that, that is really your passion. Right. And, and that kind of fuel, this kind of fuels that passion in, in a sense. Talk to me about that, about how, and I think it's so important and, and that work-life balance, right? If you want to call it that or whatever that, yeah. you know, it is to people, uh, it's just life, right? At the end of the day, you're, you're doing life. Yeah. What does that look like in terms of for you as a blueprint that you could offer uh, in terms of advice for others, right? Whether it be attorneys or even outside of the legal world, but of finding things you're passionate about outside of your work to recharge and see things a little bit differently. Absolutely. I mean, I had this conversation with my mom on the way here. You know, I was in Ohio yesterday driving a dirt sprint car, which is something I don't normally do. I'm a road course racer. And my mom's like, you've been racing so much more lately. And, you know, she was on me. She doesn't like the auto racing. She, I started racing go-karts when I was in my teens. And she just stomachs it because she knows I love it. But yeah. she was on me driving to your podcast. And I said, Mom, it's what makes me happy and I work to race. 
and I, I joke that I've done that as a hashtag at times, you know, I worked the race. But I think if you go deeper than that, the idea of you got to love what you do for work, I think is always confused because some people will go and they will do what they love and then it sacrifices their ability to create income. And I think if you do that, you have to be supremely happy because it's okay to not make money. I, I, I listened to one of your podcasts and you, you touched on um, making money or not making money doesn't make you poor or rich. You know, you can make very little money and be very rich in life and you can make a lot of money and be very poor in life. But ultimately, a lot of times people, you know, focus on happiness and doing things day to day that make them happy, but then it disrupts the rest of their life because earning potential is not there. I wanted to be a race car driver when I was in my teens. You know, I, it's all I wanted to do. I didn't want to be an attorney. I didn't wow. want to be a business owner. I wanted to race cars. It's, it was my passion. What I realized in my teens is there's no money in auto racing. Unless you're the top couple guys in Formula One or maybe even the top couple guys in NASCAR or IndyCar, there's no money. There's a lot of incredible racing drivers that don't make any money. There's a lot of money going out. You're paying a yeah, lot. You're yeah, you're paying a lot of money. It's very expensive. So I realized that I had to go create businesses and things to be able to race. And I stepped away from it for a long time. Oh, wow. And you know I was doing a race or two maximum a year and I was growing businesses. And now I've come back to it and it feels like a sense of accomplishment because I was able to do things and I don't hate what I do. I, I love what I do. I love growing businesses. I love the people I work with, but I love auto racing more. If you could say, make half of what you make and just go race all day, I'll close down shop wow. all day and go do it. Wow. But I know I can't. So I look at it as a, a recharge for me, like you said. I go racing, I come back, I'm motivated. I've also met a lot of influential business people um, influential entrepreneurs, friends in the automotive world. And for me, it's, I, I work to race. I, I truly enjoy doing it. And if I wasn't doing it, I feel like I would be a less effective business owner because I'd have less to look forward to. That's like actually a great point that I didn't even think of that you're right. It gives you something to look forward to. It gives you something to be motivated by mm -hmm. uh, to be able to do that. So talk to me about that work part too. Now, you know, you have the law group, but then you open up a, a real estate Mm -hmm. uh, office. Tell me about that and how it's been going and, you know, now really what you're focused on and what people, or at least what, you know, you hope to be recognized for when you think of uh, both. Sure. I So 2009, I opened the law firm and I'd got my real estate license. Things started to progress. By 2013, I opened a real estate office with a different business partner. He was not a good partner. And I'd recruited on about uh, 10 to 13 realtors at that point. Wow. And I wasn't happy where I was at and had to go and take these 10 or 13 people to another brokerage. So I started shopping around. I started, the intention was not to open Main Street originally. Started shopping oh, around no a little bit. Yeah. And went and talked to some of the bigger shops. And what I realized, and my 10 or 13 people were really new. They were very green realtors. I realized true one-on-one -on -one coaching for real estate agents just wasn't there. You know, um, and, I, and there's good coaching at a lot of different offices, but I think the key this, to success as a real estate broker is to have weekly one-on-one -on -one coaching for your level of production. And I call it winning the week. So if I told you, I'll relate it to fitness here because everybody can relate to weight loss. If I said I had to lose 50 pounds this week, you'd say, okay, that's a big weight loss goal. 
if I told you I had to lose a pound this week, you'd say, okay, dummy, don't eat Chipotle, go for a run, you'll lose a pound this week. Pound a week for 52 weeks is 52 pounds. Every realtor should have their goals broken down into what they have to do every week. And, and every business owner ac across any business should have weekly goals and they should try to win the week. So as we talked to big shops, we realized there's no true one-on-one -on -one coaching. So Jeff and I thought to ourselves, let's just, let's, let's try to do this. Let's see if we can have the marketing and the tech of the big companies, but the coaching and training we don't think they have. So we opened Main Street with those original 10 to 13 people. We've grown to 65 agents now. And uh, outside of auto racing, the coaching and training and the, the watching of growth of other people's businesses has been the most rewarding piece of my, I guess, business career. Because I've watched it. I've watched agents go that came to us with zero production to 5 million to 10 million to 20 to 40 million in a year. You know, somebody who's about to gross a million dollars, seven figures in a year, and they started with you um, with no production in the business. Um, to me, that's just as rewarding as going out and, you know, being able to do a day or two racing a car. So awesome. I fell into the role of coach, business coach, which originally, again, I didn't set out to do. You know, it was never, I want to go and be a business coach. I just studied the business of real estate and then learned how to break it down into meaningful things weekly and then stayed an accountability partner for the people that I work with. That's awesome. I mean, I love everything. I love the energy you bring to it. Definitely not your typical uh, attorney conversation. So that's always yeah. a, a refreshing thing. But how can people find you? At yeah, but to, no. to that point, I'll do it for attorneys too. So if anybody hears this and listens, you know, I'm by no means the best business person in it to talk to. I'm by no means, you know, the most successful attorney. But I think I have a pretty decent grasp of what it takes to be successful at the, you know, growing the the business side of law as well. And I've sat down with a lot of brand new attorneys, with attorneys who are going off um, on their own from law firms. And this is an offer to anybody that hears this. Um, if, if they reach out and want to get lunch or dinner, I'm a very open book when it comes to business. I think the path to success is out there. I've had a lot of people teach and help me along the way too. So I'm of the mindset of giver's gain. And if somebody wants to learn something from me, I'm sure I can learn something from them as well. Um, and I'm always happy to teach that because what I do teach in real estate, it's business growth. You can teach somebody how to do a showing and uh, inspection and an open house inside of, you know, a month. You know, you could teach a monkey to open a door and do a showing. You could sure. teach, you know, uh, a dog to do that. It, it's easy to do. It's the business side of real estate that's difficult to comprehend and do consistently. And a lot of that does translate to the business side of owning a law firm as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. You see the, the clear path to both. Now, how can people find you if they wanted to reach out? So you can reach out. I mean, I'll give out my cell phone number. It's 847-431-6222. Uh, find me anywhere on social media. Um, Facebook is my name. LinkedIn is my name. Um, Instagram is at therealmo.com because somehow somebody has my name. Wow. Yeah, that's um, cool. <laughs> yeah. So I went with the real and it, it took off. Um, but you can also email me, um, uh, mo at mainstreetreg.com. Um, and I'm happy to reach out, reach back out. I'm usually pretty good at getting um, responses back to people, but badger me if I don't and I'll get back to you. Awesome. Well, Mo, thanks for coming in, sharing your story, and looking forward to all the cool things you're doing have you back. I appreciate you having me on, and that was a lot of fun, and um, I'd love to come back. Awesome, brother. Thank you. Thank you.